HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. following message has been brought to you by Fairway Market. What's the buzz about honey? Well, those busy little bees are up to something, and it is delicious. The Fairway label honey is superb. Fairway only hires worker bees that are the best at what they do. This makes for a great-tasting, high-quality honey at an amazing value with the Fairway stamp of approval. And on top of being delicious, honey is a great substitute for other sweeteners and can even benefit your health. This includes better energy, respiratory improvements, and balanced blood sugar levels. It's a no-brainer. Get your Fairway Honey today. Welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, and uh, Amanda Freitag is already giggling. <laughs> Patty Jackson is also here. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Today's show, uh, just selfishly because I want to hang out with these lovely ladies. See, that happens. And, yeah, and chat a little bit about you know their illustrious careers, but also a little uh, about the role of gender in the kitchen. You, you're both ladies, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Last time I checked. <laughs> um, Most of the time. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's sometimes a glaring thing walking into a kitchen and seeing the testosterone fly. But oh, yes. uh, there's also, you know, a whole bunch of very renowned women, not just in New York, around the world, that uh, cook and have had led the charge from, you know, Julia Child to Lydia Bastianich here in New York. But first, we're going to, you know, uh, give them a little bit of your merits. Yes. Um, Amanda uh, grew up in New Jersey. I did. I grew yeah. up in New Jersey. Don't hold it against me. <laughs> Cedar Grove, New Jersey. Yeah. You know, a lot of uh, great fruits and vegetables come from New Jersey. I mean... I know. I was yeah. I was trying to uh, be supportive on Jersey the other day and talking about its mountains, its lakes, yeah. its valleys, its beaches, its farms. You know, Jersey's not a bad place at all. Um, although I didn't grow up around f- good food. Yeah. yeah. That wasn't... It was the impetus for my cooking was because I wanted good food. Yeah. <laughs> so I... Uh, 
you know, I fell in love with the restaurant business first. Yeah. And then luckily I had a skill for culinary and went to CIA. Good old CIA. The lovely CIA. Yes, which I haven't been up there in years and years and years. Supposedly it's just like Mecca now. It's like culinary Disney World. Oh, yeah. I mean, anyone that's anybody that comes to New York now makes that trip. trip. Yeah. And if you don't know what the CIA is, it's not the secret stuff because we're talking about it. Uh, the Culinary Institute of America in yes. Hyde Park. Yep. Um, Patty, where did you grow up? I grew up outside of Scranton, Pennsylvania. Scranton. Wait, that's like from The Office? No. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Dunder Mifflin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible It's really reference. funny. Yeah. Actually, the... Act, no, the... The office does a great job of working in funny Scranton references. Yeah. If you're from there, it's very funny. Yeah. Um, and then you grew up, you know, eating your grandmother's cooking, uh, having her cookies during Christmas. And yeah. My grandmother was, my grandmother loved to make certain kinds of cookies. I mean, I think I'm like Amanda, you know, we grew up, I grew up, you know, people had gardens and, and things like that, but I didn't grow up really exposed to amazing food. Yeah. Um, you know. So it was like a feast or famine thing. You know, you, you were of. in this almost food desert trying to get out and find the more. Well, I think I had, you know, I think we had a lot of, uh, I had a lot of fresh food growing up, you know, yeah. and, and probably a lot of seasonal food, but it wasn't necessarily on the cutting edge of, of exciting new culinary trends. Yeah. And then went to. Uh, if indeed there were any in the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> Fondue. Well, put, I mean. Put some Spam and Miracle yeah. on it. Delicious. <laughs> I mean, what were your typical family meals? Oh, you oh. want to take that one? Yeah. <laughs> my mom's probably listening. Yeah, my mom too. Yeah. Um, no, this is a really big show amongst moms. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, moms love yeah. this. Um, well, you know, we, I mean, we kind of had a, a modern family. I was one of five kids and we were kind of spread out. So everybody was always kind of doing things. So there wasn't a lot of, I mean, I don't remember having a, lo- a, a lot of sit down dinners. You know, except on Sunday. More often than not, it was just kind of running around and kind of grabbing what was available. Yeah. You know, my parents both worked really hard. They, you know, one of us might cook, one of us might not cook. Yeah. Yeah, I had a very similar situation. We were latchkey kids. My parents were working always, you know. You could pop in a TV dinner if you wanted that, you know. Oh, you TV dinner. Take out yes. the one with the brownie or the one with, like, the, you and know, apple gums. pie thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I do. I still love steak I still love steak Do yeah. they still make steak Oh, yeah, yeah. I Are mean, they doing, like, uh, the antibiotic-free, oh, free-range I mean, steak Like, if I do them, I shave my own steak, you know. But I through college, I went through a lot of steak Oh, yeah. Those yeah. were amazing. How 30 seconds to prepare, yeah, right? Yeah, Just, if that, yes. You so. know, so I think we both kind of share that, like, food fascination. Like, when I I started to learn about food it was just fascinating to yeah. me like what is that what is this how does it work how do you cook it you know and and just learning about the basics and then you know figuring you could just just about do anything to yeah. food and that to me was incredible you know this crazy imagination and super creative and I just wanted to play with it yeah you I know? mean Patty you went formally to cooking school in Baltimore I did I went to pastry school when I went yeah which you know I went to pastry school before they invented the oven kind of so because <laughs> I'm so old so you know at the time there weren't the, the CIA certainly didn't have a baking program um and it was tiny then um so you know that all of a sudden the school in Baltimore decided that they were going to do a degree program in baking which you know was I mean, it, I learned a lot in, in baking school, you know, um, and it was a very unusual thing, you know. There weren't just weren't a lot of people who were doing it at the time, um, or going to school for it. Anyhow, obviously, there were probably a lot more bakeries and things at the time. Yeah, 
But I mean, prior to having institutional education, what was your fascination with food? I mean, it, it wasn't TV dinners. <laughs> It was eating. Yeah. I loved to eat. I was a really fat kid. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yes, yes uh, I could. I should have brought photos yeah. today. It was. Uh, I mean, food was like the reward. Food was the thing. Food was. Food was everything to me. It was comforting. If I was happy, I would eat. If I was sad, I would just eat. After school, I would eat. Like it was just food, 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 food. It yeah. was all about food. And, you know, my grandparents were really good cooks. My grandmother used to make you know donuts that she would roll out onto her little kitchen table and cut out with like a coke glass. Yeah. You know? oh. Oh. And fry them. I mean, yeah. they were like lead bombs in your stomach <laughs> once you ate them, but they were delicious. Yeah. Yeah. My grandfather used to make, he was more on the Italian side, so he would make meatballs and stuff like that. But what I was fascinated by was like he would make the sauce for the pasta was brown. It was like gravy. It was, a, it was like meat sauce. Oh, yeah. Like, well, it wasn't, are, are you one of those people that calls sauce gravy? I don't. Yeah. I don't. It actually looked like a beef gravy that he would put, and yeah. I was like, that doesn't make any sense, <laughs> you know? And then learning, you know... Strangely, my grandmother's look, kind of looked like that, too, but... Yeah. Not on purpose. <laughs> Not on purpose. Yeah. yeah. You know, and so then you go and you travel. I mean, I luckily got to travel around Italy. I'm sure Patty has, too, and then you see the differences. You know, you're in the north, and it sort of looks like that, and I was like, wow, maybe that's where my grandfather's family was from maybe that's why he made it that way or you go south and you see it differently and so it's like all these things come rushing back in about food memories and it's like maybe that is connected yeah that's it. i mean I, I think for me too you know i had a really similar kind of it's so weird i know right <laughs> <laughs> we've never talked about this yeah, yeah we, we know each other pretty well and we've never discussed any of this stuff um yeah you know it, it, i I don't know. I used to like love to go to the kosher deli, and I used to love to go to the. There was a, believe it or not, a Japanese steakhouse in Scranton that was just fascinating, <laughs> you know. And and you know, I remember like trying Chinese recipes, and you know, we didn't really have Chinese food in Clark Summit in you know the seventies. So I tried all this different food, and I really liked it. I liked all the different flavors and the ideas that you could do. You, you know, you could mix this stuff together and make things. And then, you know, when I kind of got out in the world, it was like, wow, this is incredible, you know? Like, people eat all kinds of different things, yeah. you know? I mean, we lived a pretty prescribed culinary life in my family. You know, my dad didn't eat a lot of things, and there was what was easy to cook, you know? So, you know, a lot, there wasn't a lot of fresh fish, or there yeah. wasn't the idea, you know, the first time I saw an oyster or a soft-shell crab, <laughs> it was like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah it's like a bug. Were the, was the pastry program that you went to all women no no um there was a regular culinary program and that was that was 50 people and of the 50 people two were women and then there was a pastry program that i think there were 11 people and maybe six were men and five were women oh that's yeah because it also it was kind of an industrial program at that time you know Uh, i shouldn't say industrial but you know we did croissants and danish and things that you'd buy from a bakery it wasn't just to make you know pretty little sugar sculptures right it wasn't patissier yeah yeah, yeah I mean, you I made mean, pretty little sugar sculptures. it's interesting yes i mean the preconcept i think is that women you know bake and do pastry and right. there's been a major shift in the last decade of really renowned uh, male pastry chefs oh. and also really renowned uh, female executive chefs right um but were a lot of those programs catered towards one gender um i don't think when i went to school that they were but i think that Subsequently, there were a lot of schools that kind of made their pastry a little more uh, women-friendly, so to speak. I mean, I think, uh, but I also think that working in a kitchen, the sort of the structure of the kitchen, especially an older kitchen or the way things were done, made a a woman's, 
oh, this is going to get me in trouble. <laughs> um, but a lot of times women chose to do some of the jobs like pastry or, or garbage prep, those kind of things, because it gave them a more workable schedule to live their typical women yeah. lives, so to speak. Yeah. No, no. I mean, I actually know a couple That's people. No, I know a couple of people that worked as pastry chefs and as bakers, mm-hmm. so they could be at home for children, etc. And you know, but I also know a couple uh, guys who did similar things. Uh, one who was a bread baker mm-hmm. who did a two thirty a.m. shift and got home at noon to take care of the kids during the day when the wife went away to work. Yeah, and, I love that. Yeah, so I like that. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think that's something that's always that's really attractive about the restaurant business or the the food business is that there's always such flexibility. You know. In, in scheduling and kind of in, in job descriptions. I mean, everywhere you go, they're a little different. And, and I think that's a really great thing for women in general, you know, that many women have many different roles that they fill. And yeah. I think that's good for them. Well, now it's exploded. Like when I came out of culinary school, you were a sous chef, a chef, or a certified master chef. Yeah. <laughs> there was, those were your options, yeah. you know, and you started as a prep and a line cook, and you did that for 50 years before you became yeah. any of those others. So there was no Food Network. There was no, yeah, there's a few food magazines, but nothing like, you know, the jobs that you can get as food stylists, recipe testers. I yeah. Mean, none of that existed, you know, when I graduated culinary school. So there were, the only option was to go work on the line. You know, that was it. There wasn't any other option. And pretty much it was working at night and on the weekends. I mean, I sort of weeded out. I did catering. I did small restaurants, big restaurants. And I realized I liked the sort of freestanding small restaurant situation. You know, I didn't love hotels. I didn't really love dragging stuff off premise to do catering. And once you find that out, then you sort of, stay in that you know and it's never had any of those other options you know like food styling or things things that i mean our industry yeah yeah (laughs) our industry has jam making exploded yeah the the niche yeah has has really become a niche it it amazes me you know i mean like just sitting back is this like sort of jaded cynical bitter (laughs) observer you know it's like you can do that? Like, people open that? And it's a success? You yeah. Know? Versus, you know, 20 years ago, you know, the idea of, uh, like Amanda said, you know, the idea of not being the chef de partie de pastry of whatever. You know, yeah. you didn't, not working through the stations and not, you know. Yeah, the hierarchy's been eliminated. Pretty but at much. the same, But at the same time, you talk about these, like, single subject things. Uh, be it jam, be it, you know, whatever, beekeeping. Uh, but, Patty, you you make everything. I you make try everything. to make everything: breadsticks, uh, chocolate. You know, uh, I make everything. Yeah, every- but that's because I, I I'm, I'm easily. Uh, I think I have like some sort of adult onset ADD. I'm, I'm so easily bored and easily overwhelmed sometimes. So sometimes it's just nice to go and you know. I mean, I, I miss touching bread every day. That's yeah. something from the pastry thing that you know you you never lose that yeah you know and then you know i'll go through a whole week where i just want to temper chocolate and then i'll go yeah. through a whole week where you know we could make a better muffin yeah and you cure some of your own meats in we house cure and some of yeah. my own meats we make all of our own sausage we make all of our ice creams and all that stuff i mean you know so specification is starting my staff to, hates me yeah <laughs> <laughs> just like 
we need sausage. And the one, my one, my sous chef yesterday was like, we need sausage again. He looked at me with like such hatred. Yeah. Like, I hate you. Why? It's like, give me 20 bucks. I'll walk around the corner. I'll get us some sausage. I'm going to go buy sausage. I I don't, I I don't want him to know that he could. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like, just keep him in the dark in the basement. Like, just keep making sausage. Do do you feel like your upbringing in the kitchen was kind of like that too? I mean, uh, you cooked in DC for a whole bunch of years. Yeah. You came, you came to New York. I've uh, been in New York pretty much. Work with Jean George. Yeah. Yeah. My whole career. But was it kind of that regimen thing where it's like, we make everything, we do all this? Yeah, always. I mean, I, uh, I, you know, I worked at, at Verbena uh, for six years with Diane Forley, and that was like an amazing experience because it was sort of this petri dish of loveliness of making everything being right next to the union square green market having just this wonderful it was almost like being in a culinary school except a lot less people in the kitchen you know she you know we made all our own bread all our own ice cream you know everything i mean to me at the time like that was incredibly inspiring you know like we didn't even buy bread maybe every once in a while at brunch we'd buy one bread item just to make it a little easier for ourselves (laughs) you know but that also felt weird you know what are we doing you know we would make grissini you know and that was tedious and you know but it showed i mean that was a gem of a restaurant and it, it was details it was details 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 and i feel like if you touch everything if you make everything there's a huge difference you really that's feel a, it that's in a way that that's a, a, a one like a woman chef thing. yeah I very agree. much so i think that like men are happy to seek out something that they love a lot you know that uh, oh my god i had this thing and it's so great and we're gonna sell it in our restaurant and i don't think there's anything wrong with that but i think most of the women i know take a lot of pride in doing you know the minutiae yeah you know, it, it's 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 like the pastry thing you know that the pastry chef always wants some vision of themselves to be there and i think that women do the same thing well we're going to take a quick break and come back to that point of you know seeking and making uh you've been listening to the food scene on heritage radio network.com we'll be right back Radio Network. Join Linda Palaccio for a taste of the past every Thursday at 12 p.m. as she indulges her curiosities about food, cooking, drinking, and dining of the past by taking a journey through culinary history. Linda interviews authors, scholars, friends, and chroniclers to learn about what was eaten, where, and how, from as long ago as ancient Mesopotamia and Rome, right up to the grazing tables and deli counters of today. 
The show underscores food as a lively link between present and past cultures. Again, that's Thursday at 12 p.m. on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. I've almost got too many names sometimes. I get out of <laughs> breath. can't say that all at once. With uh, Amanda, is it Freytag or Freytag? It's Freytag. Freytag. Yep. Friday in German. Friday in German. Yeah. Yep. So I, I missed your first name while typing it in Google to try to find your website. I'm like, oh, Friday in German. Friday yeah. in German. But I'm sure you knew that. I and, love that day. Yeah. And uh, Patty Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, in Europe, though, I always get, I'll always go to like a hotel and I'll yeah. walk up and I'll say, I have a reservation for Jackson, and they can never find my reservation. Cause, really? Yeah. Tons of Jacksons? Or? The spelling doesn't, you know, it's like uh, Jackson or yeah. something, you know. Or, you know, one time I was sent to Italy to get jackets embroidered, and they couldn't do it because they didn't have a, a pattern for the J. Were they Greek? Were they just doing like uh, you know V's instead of U's? Like I A C H yeah S O N N E. See, whereas mine translates to every language, it's and rhymes with my last name too. It's Michael Turkel, and then it changes into Miguel Turkel, Michelle Turkel, Mikhail Turkel. So you just do a sing-songy thing, and everyone kind of gets it. I like that. I like that. But enough about me. Seeking versus making, I think, is a really interesting uh, crux. You know, uh, Patty was kind of saying that uh, she sees more so in men go and look for these, you know, ingredients or look for these things to bring yeah, back I'm into get the kitchen. With men for saying that, yeah. Screw men. I'm saying that on air. Wow. Trying to start a hot debate. Maybe I'll have a man show next. Man uh, show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's when I started in pastry, I worked for um, a, a very nice French chef. And but you know he was always and I'm not sure if I, I guess it was his Frenchness in a way he was always looking for perfection so everything got reduced to a very specific formula of not necessarily a fresh thing right maybe it was a, a frozen puree or a jarred puree or a kind of a specific gelatin that said a specific way and that was great but then when I went to work for Italians where God <laughs> knows there are no rules yeah. You know, then, you know, all of a sudden it it was a different sort of a calculus, right? So it was always an experimentation, you know, like, oh, my God, we have a fresh watermelon. I'll try to do something with it. Well, when you were hired by Pino, uh, how do you say his last name? Luongo. Luongo for El Madre. Did you get... Actually, I was hired for Mad 61. Mad 61. Did you uh, get carte blanche, say, do whatever you want to do? Or he's like, I got all this great stuff. Not originally. Yeah. Not originally. Um... I came to Pino because I'd worked with some of his other chefs uh, in D.C. Some people who worked for him had worked with me in D.C. And um, so when I came to him, they were opening Mad 61, which was a huge complex in Barney's. And um, so I was sort of a known quantity, but I wasn't a New York known quantity. So there were different people. There were some terrific people I worked with there. Stacy Pierce and Paula Oland were, you know, Stacy did the pastry for the restaurant and Paula did the bread, she, who's... You know, so, you know, I did the other fill-in things. And yes, I guess I had carte blanche in that, you know. But then as they went on to do their other things, then I took over that. And I guess I had carte blanche with everything else. Because I've always... But I mean, I was the pastry chef. So I only had carte blanche as far as the chef saying, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. But I mean, do you you feel like women in seeking try to collect other women or try to collect other people mentors and you know uh, sometimes uh, men look towards this restaurant 
and with an associated name. Mm -hmm. But they look for a more mentoring uh, place than they do for, I can say I worked here. Yeah, I mean, I we came to find that at Verbena a lot because it was a female chef owner. And then, you know, when I was a sous chef and chef de cuisine, we had a lot of women applicants. Um, just, I don't, I didn't know why, you know, I, I, I more feel like I have an insight on it now, but even then it was just perplexing to me. And, you know, I didn't necessarily love that because women who are maybe not that skilled in the kitchen and were not really good cooks were coming to apply and expecting to be hired just because we were women running this business. And it was, you have to be a good cook. Yeah. You just, because you're a woman doesn't mean you're going to get the job. And honestly, having a kitchen full of women is not a great idea or having a kitchen full of men is probably not a great idea. I mean, there has to be some balance. You know, I don't personally like it any one way. You know, you have to have a balance of, of men and women and, you know, different ethnicities and different skill levels. And I mean, I think every cook on the team brings something else to the the party. You have your quiet guy, you have your gregarious (laughs) guy, you have your guy that's, you know, going to bring everybody together. Like, I think it's just, I, I found that to be almost annoying in a way that, that, that women were mostly our applicants. I mean, we would, when we would get a guy applying for a line cook job, we would be (laughs) fascinated. Like, how did you hear about us? Why do you really want to work here? You know? And it was, was it also, like my girlfriend loves your restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. He found out through a woman, somehow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it was also a very different kind of an environment, uh, whether it be female run or male run or whatever. It was a mature kitchen. It was mature. We were focused on the food. We weren't screaming, yelling, throwing things at each other. It was very, very much about the food and the love of what we were doing. So there was also a different vibe of that. And anybody, particularly probably young men, who were coming in and thought they wanted to work there and weren't getting sort of yelled at or weren't getting the discipline that they thought they should be getting yeah. at the time, they sort of weeded themselves out. Really? You know, they loved the food, they loved the place, but then they would come and they would work there and they just didn't understand the vibe. Yeah. It didn't make sense to them. What, why aren't you yelling? Why, why are we all getting along kind of thing? Like, <laughs> but you know, and they I would think almost, that's a really great point though. Yeah. They would almost act out to try and create something yeah. because it didn't, I it, they're fish out of water yeah. kind of a thing, you know, it, it's yeah. weird. Well, it's, it's like me being like, um, well, I, I guess I'm not middle-aged, but you know, a 30 somethings white male from Westchester. It's like, I don't really have, a point of view necessarily and they they want to be able to have uh something to say like oh the kitchen i work in is so crazy because or right. have some kind of you know a, a fodder for a conversation or for stories down the road but you know i i guess that's what they've always heard and that's what they always assumed you know was happening it was very interesting i worked there for six years and then i moved on to this other job and i was at this kitchen and it was you know it was an opening sort of a thing i took a while to get it open train the crew whatever the first night, the chef started screaming, yeah. screaming, and I was—I was completely startled because I'd been in this lovely environment for six years, and I thought, hasn't everybody evolved? You know, I thought everybody out in no. the world evolved, no. <laughs> and everybody was that way. And I was like, okay, this still goes on. This is just—I'm going to have to. At that point, I then—and I'm still not there yet—but at that moment, I was like, I can't wait to have my own so I can create. that environment again you know like I've been able to do it where I've led kitchens but I still 
haven't a hundred percent been able to get back to that, you know, productive yet amazing place to work in yet, you know, mature. Yeah. I mean, what other uh, mentors did you have that had that same kind of vibe? The both of you, I mean, because you've worked with wonderful people, you know, in yeah. New York from, you know, Tom Valenti and yeah. uh, Cesare and you. I think, uh, Particularly, I, w- I worked with Marcia Polini, who is uh, a really amazing Italian woman. And she was a collaborator. She, you know, she really liked to talk through things. And, and I thought that that was like such a good quality. And I find that when I, that's something I really like. I really like to, you know, ha- have half of an idea and talk to my cooks and say, what do you think? Or what would you like? And I find that that's always something like that's kind of, about half of the cooks in the universe, male or female, are really uncomfortable with that. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. to, um, you know, why are you asking me? Like, it's not a test. I like to bounce things yeah. around, you know? Um, I think that I found that those kind of chefs were a lot of fun versus, yeah. you know, the, I have a vision and it's this and, you know, you need to execute it. But then they could never really produce their own vision yeah. either, you know? Well, so it was like the antithesis of a, a cooking school. You know, yeah. because you were given measurements and you know uh, this program to work through, but you were never say go. Right, and you were told not to think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't think. You know, chef. I think. No, no, no. Just yeah. do. Actually, I told somebody to stop thinking today. <laughs> there <laughs> you go. See, it's still it's still alive. Today. Sometimes, though, I think that's a good. Uh, that really is good advice. Though sometimes, you know, you just stop thinking about it. Just do it. You know, when people people ask me for like bread making advice, it's like don't don't think. What's the worst thing that's yeah. going to happen? No, right. yeah. you know, don't over. Well, that's scary. I think bread making uh, for me, See? bread making <laughs> and pastry are scary because yeah. because pastry for me, I'm me. oh I'm sort of that stir it, taste it, fix it, work with it, chef. I, you know, pastry it was never my forte. I can do it, but it's not my forte. It's like you mix it. Once it goes in the oven, that's it. You can't handle it again and then fix it somehow you know like you have a similar set of fixes available to you as a pastry chef yeah yeah but then you just have to accept that things aren't always going to be perfect which pretty much would kill any pastry chef right yeah. so that, that there is that idea but you know i don't know why people are so afraid of of those things it's funny that you say that as a woman though because usually that's a male thing like pastry i can't touch it no i <laughs> i mean i don't mind doing some basic stuff so there's been moments where i've worked in very small restaurants where i've done the pastry menu as well and basics you know basics my dad used to love pastry and i would call him in the middle of a crazy morning where i'm trying to do everything and make something and i'm like what's a conversion on you know teaspoons and tablespoons on this you know it's like i needed that brain that you know brain that was very scientific because i just wanted to get done you know when you want to just get it done mm-hmm. pastry is not the place you should be in you know you sort of it has to timing everything has to be measured perfectly i mean i'm i'm the girl who doubles a recipe and then doesn't double one of the ingredients or you know i'm that person because i'm trying to fly through it you, you, you just need to do it more yeah <laughs> no it's funny i'm seeing less and less i i i didn't want to but i kind of call this you know like the female chef show mm-hmm. uh, gender wars but not that there are wars but the more and more I hear people talk about uh, the role of gender in a kitchen, the less and less I think it is about gender. Mm-hmm. But I think it's about uh, not even upbringing, but the institutions uh, and the way people learn and the way people then cook. So like, yeah. there, there is the, 
I think I have to measure, I think I have to be precise, and then I think I can do everything on the fly with that kind of knowledge. And I think it's really more those two parties, those two sides of the brain, than it is X versus Y chromosome. Yeah, than it is male and female. I agree. I I think um, it's so hard for me because now I'm sometimes in that mentor role. And, you know, females will come to me and ask me a lot of questions, and I don't want to get frustrated, but sometimes it's hard because I don't want to be categorized either. You know, I want to say, just think of yourself as a chef, you know, because when I'm sure Patty has this too, when you're working in the kitchen, when you're overwhelmed, when you have so much to do, you're not running around saying, I'm a female, I'm a female, I'm a female. You know, you're going to cook on the line. You're like, I'm a female chef right now. You're you're not thinking (laughs) that, you know? You're like, I got to get this shit done, you know? Like, I'm busy and I got to get it done. Like, you don't even think when you're doing that. Yeah. Until some, it's it's until somebody really points it out to you. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know who you are in your body, but until somebody really points it out, like, you're a great female chef. And like, oh, does that take something away from the fact, like... Or is it an enhancement? Or is it an yeah, enhancement? Yeah. You know, it's like, wow, look, you, you ran that marathon with one leg. Good job. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's sort of... Yeah, no, I, I, I... Yeah, I always feel kind of uncomfortable when people are... Which is funny, because I'm here discussing it right now. But when people are like, you know, so what is it like being a female in a kitchen? It's like... It's the same thing as it is being a female everywhere else, you know. I mean, I thought I, you were going to say constant hot flashes. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it feels like in a kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> you don't joke about that yeah. kind of stuff, um, you know. But I mean, sure, I, I'm, you know, I, I spent a lot of my life being the only girl in the kitchen, yeah, or being surrounded by guys in the kitchen. So I never saw myself as different than anybody else. You know, I, I don't see myself as having a different role. I don't see myself as you know, not being able to pick things up or put things down or, you know, except now I'm old. So, <laughs> so, you know, people yeah. just look at me like, how can you do that when you're so old? You no. Know? Yeah, no, they do. <laughs> I think like, like what we were talking about though, before the show started, I think it's a little now at our levels, you know, what I'm more thinking about is business. And you know, what I was telling you before the show started is like, uh, I got a business plan and it's done. And now all I need is the investors. And I think for me, that's a skill that doesn't always get passed along to women. You know, the guys are sort of negotiating and they've got the business plans and blah, 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 you know, and the girls are never really in on that or the girls are not going to business school or whatever it is. There's something left out men don't want to negotiate with women for some reason, or I don't know what it is. I'm still trying to learn myself, like we were saying, but I think, um, people are less apt to invest in a woman business owner. And I don't know why I'm not, I mean, I don't, it's a generalization, but I see it. I see how it's more difficult for women to get supported and money and investors than it is for men. And I'm still trying to learn the phenomena on yeah. that one, you know, and I don't know. I need to find out how to make it work for myself. Otherwise I'll never have what I want to have, but well, I agree with you. But I think that, that, I think that, that, that whole idea kind of spreads itself to a, a kind of a wider plane. Mm-hmm. I can't negotiate with my plumber. He just, I could tell, uh, you know, the water could be, uh, <laughs> you know, geysering up from the floor and I could say there's a problem and he'd be, he, he would say, no, no, there's nothing wrong there. You know, what? 
you know, one time we had a problem with one of our toilets, and he was like, you have to, you have to flush it harder. Uh, <laughs> that's you know, a great solution. That's a great solution. <laughs> and by the way, I'm the only person who has this problem, and that's why I right. called you hysterical, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, I think that men, I think that, well, I think a lot of times, you know, whether it's that, you know, guys have a guy network kind of a feeling, and that's, you know, the, you know, or whether it's that, you know, they're just not accustomed to dealing with women in sort of that kind of, my kind of role. I'm not sure what it is. But. Yeah. Yeah. Because I could tell you right now, having tasted both of your food, one, it's funny because, Patty, I almost feel like you're in a, in a Nona-style atmosphere and people expect a grandmother to be cooking this, but... It's so funny, but, you know, you know, I'll, I'll do, put something new on the menu that yeah. I think is, like, really modern and groundbreaking, and Nona will be sitting in the front making her pasta, yeah. and I'll be standing right next to her, and people will walk out and they'll say, great food, Mama. Yeah. You know, and, and Dora just sits there and goes, yeah. Yes. Yes. Grazie. Yeah. So. But, but they, I bet you they assume, too, that there's a backbone of... You know, some guy down in the kitchen, uh, breaking down the meat, making the this, the making the that. But there's this face of Nona up front. Yeah. Well, sometimes I make her break down the meat. Yeah. <laughs> Crack that way. Yeah. But I mean, and and Amanda, um, I don't think I could have told anyone that it was a female chef when eating your food. Right. You know, and I see that with patties too having uh, been to eat truly a couple times through its iteration of chefs you know obviously the food has changed and you are my favorite iteration yeah <laughs> but i i mean i never walk into a restaurant and be like "Ooh, can i see a menu no or like can i see the gender of your chef right like, but i think that's yeah. always really fascinating too though when you always see these things when you know the roundup of women chefs and it's like well you can tell that you know you can tell Anita Lowe's a woman because her name is Anita Lowe. I mean, yeah. come on. You know, I don't think that she cooks in a way that necessarily indicates she's a woman. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't think that Rebecca cooks, uh, Re- Rebecca, Rebecca Charles, Charles yeah. cooks in a way that indicates that she's a woman. Yeah. You know, I don't think that, you know, I, well, now I could name like 30,000 women, yeah. I guess. But, you know, I, I don't, I don't really always understand, you know, why it's, so significant yeah i think it's groundbreaking that that there are so many women in the field now though yeah i do think we have to give ourselves some props there yeah well i mean the segue onto that i think we should really give props to a project you're working on um what happens when yes what happens when women take over monday nights (laughs) monday nights at what happens when which is a temporary restaurant in soho um it's a woman chef woman pastry chef and a female sommelier and it's been an incredible experience. The 20% of the night's profits go to charity. And it's been really fun for me because I, I do the kickoff dinner and then I'm the ambassador and I work with each woman who comes in. So I, I mean, I would have had to probably work for seven years to have done these seven dinners that I did yeah. over the last seven weeks and worked with these women, you know. So it's a great night and we all have a blast and it's all for a good cause. Cool. Who do you have coming up? Patty Jackson. <laughs> Strangely. <laughs> Couldn't have planned this better. Patty yeah. Jackson's yeah. coming up, um, you know. So but this, this upcoming Monday. Yeah. So this is pretty cool. And are there tickets still available? Well, you just make a reservation yeah, yeah. online on their reservation system. And, I, you know, it's just what happened was John Frazier came to me and said, I have this idea, which I, I just thought he was out of his mind because he has <laughs> Dovetail Uptown. Yeah. He was running What Happens When Tuesday through Sunday, and it was closed on Mondays. 
And he said, I want to open on Mondays with this female chef thing. You know, if I was running to a restaurant and I had Monday off, I'd be on my couch. But that's just me. <laughs> um, and he asked me to collaborate. And, and that alone, just that action on his part was was amazing. I, it's very rare that I'll have another male chef come to me and say, I want to do this thing with females in the industry. You know, so I thought that was pretty amazing on his part, just to say, this is something I want to do. Monday nights are are empty right now. Let's let's do this thing. So, and the, the, my other favorite part was we were thinking, oh, we have to look at the James Beard calendar. We're going to have to look at the Macy's Degustibus and see when women chefs are in town. Like, try and fill up our calendar. We basically did it locally. Yeah, you know, through October, we basically did it with women who are local, maybe DC or Philly, but. There's tons of women chefs out there, yeah. you know, doing it every day. So and it was see, pretty cool. And to see some of the best of the best, check out what happens when yes. on Mondays. Ladies, thank you. Thank you. And thank if you. there are any potential investors, male yes. or female, call the both of them. Please. <laughs> both. Separately or together. <laughs> You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Your host, Michael Harlan Hill. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on HeritageRadioNetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. following is a public service announcement from Just Food. Help bring live chickens into food challenge communities through your donations to the Just Food City Chicken Project 2011. The City Chicken Project would not be possible without the volunteer hours, donations large and small, and the vibrant energy and ideas of the communities we work with. Just Food is a nonprofit organization that connects New York City communities and local and urban farmers with the resources and support they need to make fresh, locally grown food accessible to all. To donate, search on kickstarter.com for Just Food and find their City Chicken Project. For more information on Just Food, visit JustFood.org or call 212-645-9880. That's 212-645-9880. Let's keep making New York City a better place to live and eat. The following is a message from Zingerman's. From June 30th to July 3rd, 2011, come hang out at Camp Bacon, a four-day festival hosted by Zingerman's. The main event is an all-day affair at Zingerman's Roadhouse, featuring plenty of bacon, bacon learning, and such luminaries as Alan Benton, John T. Edge, Molly Stevens, and more. The event will be taking place in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Proceeds from this event benefit Southern Foodways Alliance. Also, on Friday, July 1st, there'll be a special benefit performance featuring Andre Williams and the Gold Stars and special guests John Langford and Skull Orchard. Visit www.zingermanscampbacon.com for more information and for tickets. Once again, that's www.zingermanscampbacon.com. This is Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. This week in meetingplace.com, 
a report prepared by 10 international agencies for next week's Group of 20 conference in Paris is recommending that major governments drop policies supporting biofuels because of the effect they have on global food prices. The report was generated by experts from groups such as the World Trade Organization, the World Bank, and the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization. It notes that abrupt changes in the price of oil can lead to crops diverted to produce biofuels, which in turn increases food price volatility. It recommended that government subsidies that support biofuel development be abandoned, a topic that U.S. Agriculture Secretary Thomas Vilsack is expected to address on some level when he meets with the G20 on June 23rd. In an address yesterday before the National Press Club, Vilsack said he believes that corn-based ethanol doesn't deserve the bad reputation it received in recent years with regard to rising food prices, saying that biofuels played a minor role in food price increases in 2008. We diverted 40% of our national corn crop into the ethanol program this past year. It has had an indisputable effect on farmers who have seen their corn prices rise for feed for their cattle and pork and chickens, something like 50 to 60 percent over the last year. This, in turn, has had a major impact on the consumer in grocery stores. This has been Behind the Scenes News with Katie Kiefer. Aaron Fitzpatrick and Brian DeMarco host Unfiltered, Heritage Radio Network's very own wine program. Here's a small clip. I will say that I tasted a lot of wines, and I went to Bollinger. Mm. And it was the the special cuvee, which is, and I'll explain the difference between that and Rotor in a minute, but um, the special cuvee was the most three-dimensional oh. wine that I'd had in my mouth up until that point, and it was actually pretty much one of the only ones of the day. Really spectacular, and it's made... I'll just say in a different style from Rotorua because it, it is a, a, set, a certain portion of the blend every year, and their style is aged in barrels, and it gives it more of a toasty, fuller mm-hmm. style. And it's mm-hmm. a, it's it's really you know, it's a big champagne. It's a masculine champagne. Mm-hmm. It is. I I tried to get away, stay away from that, but it's true. I mean mm-hmm. James Bond, the whole thing. Yeah. But it's a it's a it's a big wine. It's a great food wine. But then want to hear more? We'll tune in every Tuesday at four p.m. live to Unfiltered, or check out the old episodes in our archives. Also, make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. Thanks for listening.